We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, December 15th. We are breaking down all of the week 15 action, getting into all the fantasy questions, lineups, betting angles for every game as the fantasy football playoffs kick off across most leagues. Let's get it rolling. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. Thanks for joining us here on this Thursday. This podcast presented by our friends over at No House Advantage. Mario, I say we just dive right in. Uh, I'm I'm feeling conversational, but I'm feeling very football driven on this Thursday. I don't want to so, talk to you, so I agree. <laughs> I don't want to talk to me either. Um, anyway, so the Seahawks are playing the 49ers this evening. Have you heard this? Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? And the 49ers are three point favorites on the road in this spot. We saw what happened earlier this season, uh, where the Niners kind of just crushed, uh, the Seahawks. Um, that was, I believe right after the Seahawks had that emotional win against the Broncos. I think a lot of us took a lot at, or, you know, we were like, oh, wow, they beat the Broncos. That might, that might mean something. Broncos are and good. So, yeah. And the Seahawks come back to come back to earth in that game. But then they've mostly outperformed expectations the rest of the way here. But obviously things haven't been going quite as well of late as we head into the stretch run of the season. Whereas the, the Niners, despite all of the quarterback injuries, they're on their third quarterback. I think Trey Lance got injured in that game against the Seahawks, if memory serves. And they've just kept on rolling along. They've acquired Christian McCaffrey, of course, before the trade deadline. And, you know, they just smoked the Buccaneers. I don't think that means a ton, but it's not nothing, especially when you have Brock Purdy. And, you know, so here we are. What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, it's tough to think through uh, the events of the the prior game. You know, they're, they're a long ways in the past by now, so it doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot for projecting this one. Um the Seahawks blowing it against the Panthers is pretty confusing, but it might be uh, it could be just one of those things that could happen in any given week kind of thing. Uh, the, the so random you can't put a number on it kind of thing, but the sort of uh, outcome that does happen nonetheless from time to time, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean anything when it does. And also you have to wonder if maybe the Seahawks were guilty a little bit of maybe like looking ahead 
not even a full week as it were, four days. So uh, if they at all were, were psychologically, you know, emotionally distracted with uh, this, this game, this much more important theoretically game than the stupid Panthers, it is possible that they lost to the Panthers in a way that just like doesn't actually reflect much about them. So uh, if, if you just look at the way that the Seahawks blew it against the Panthers, it'd, it'd be easy to look at this game and just say like, oh, well, clearly the 49ers are going to kill them. But uh, particularly with Pete Carroll, it's like th- things aren't usually that simple when you when you try to do the, the talent versus talent kind of question. Like he has a way of getting uh, guys to just play over their heads from time to time. And he has a way of coming up with, uh, you know, just coaching insights, gaming schematic insights, play calling insights that a lot of coaches can't, coaches that are supposedly smarter than him. So it's, it's difficult for me to count out the Seahawks, even though you should be able to count out a team when they blow it against a team as bad as the Panthers uh, at home last week. Um, I just think, uh, I don't know, if, if I had to pick a side, I'd pick the 49ers basically because I don't think Seattle will be able to run. I think San Francisco will be able to run. And uh, when you have a good defense in particular uh, on the on the side that can run, that's about all I really need to hear about because I, I think they're going to move the ball. And I think they're going to be able to give the other side some trouble when they try to move the ball or at least reduce the other side to a, a mode of moving the ball where uh, they need their passes to land at the very least. And that, I think, you know, can bring some bad luck, especially on the road, especially with a rookie, uh, nearly undrafted quarterback. So uh, I, I, I would pick the 49ers to win if I had to, but I, I wouldn't really want to specifically bet against the Seahawks, if, if at all possible. No, that that definitely makes sense. The Seahawks are a, a feisty bunch, uh, if, if nothing else, and they still got dangerous receivers. Um, yeah, Including we'll Marquise Goodwin. So uh, they, they really do have pretty good personnel at receiver and tight end. And uh, if they if the 49ers force Geno Smith to kind of air it out by not allowing him to run, uh, he might hold his own surprisingly well, especially if you just looked at his box score against the Panthers. I, I'm a big Marquise Goodwin fan. I, I, I'm always pleased with when, when he's doing well. That guy's oh, he's been through the ringer. Uh, so always good to see him having some success um, on the, on the Niners side, we've had so many wrenches thrown at us as far as how to analyze them from a fantasy perspective this year. Um, you know, the, the team just looks so different than it did in week one. What is, what do you think the shape of this offense looks like? Who stands to benefit while Debo Samuel is sidelined? Oh uh, yeah. You got a few candidates. I mean, George Kittle hasn't done much lately, but I feel like that's one of those things that isn't going to last forever. Uh, I think in Seattle last year, that was when he had that 180-yard, two-touchdown game. So you can't look at Kittle's most recent history as the sole basis of projecting what happens next. You know, it's like he's he's been volatile, even though he's been generally very good, some, some range of very good throughout his whole career. There's been ups and downs, and every time people kind of drive themselves crazy trying to sort through the, the signal and, and find some sort of meaning in it. But uh, I think he's at least as good of a candidate as Brandon Ayuk to step up and and claim whatever slack there might be from Debo. I mean, we know Kittle is badly overqualified for his usage. And if sometimes it's as simple as a guy as good as Debo getting out of the way to to make the math really work easily for for Kittle. So uh, I I think he could really pop back up here in a big way, Uh, not to dismiss Ayuk. I mean, he's, he's obviously the, the receiver who would have to step up. Juwan Jennings is going to play a little more. Ray Ray McLeod is going to play a little more. Uh, but yeah, I, I like 
I guess for like DFS, you know, especially tournament kind of thinking, I, I prefer Kittle as the answer just because people might be underestimating him a little bit at this point. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, it's McCaffrey. I would say McCaffrey, but it's like I, I figured he was kind of in for like 18, 18 carry, uh, four to six to seven catch kind of game either way. So it's it's kind of hard for me to imagine McCaffrey getting an escalated version of that if, if the escalated version is, you know, 25 carries and eight catches. That's that's more a box score I think they want to save for the playoffs for McCaffrey. Uh, it's obviously a very important divisional game, but I, I don't know if they want to go to quite that level of uh, urgency, almost desperation. So uh, even if there's like more usage to be taken by the backfield, I, I think there's a chance that Jordan Mason does a little bit because he's done a good job. And, and if, if there's, if there's work that they need doing in the backfield, it, it seems like he's ready to take it and do well with it. So uh, yeah, I, I would say Kittle, but yeah, Ayuk and McCaffrey of course could benefit too. Okay. All right. I, the music to my ears when it, when it comes to, to Kittle, uh, sorry, folks. It sounds like our uh, leaf blower people have uh, have a, an awesome sense of timing. John lives uh, in a, 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 a leaf nearby a leaf factory, and uh, yeah, it's, it's all over the place. <laughs> They're constantly doing industrial grade leaf cleaning in his uh, ten feet from his window. Yep, and uh, we we love it, and that's why we pay uh, way too much for rent. It's it's good stuff. Um, all right, I think we've unpacked this Thursday game. To its fullest, uh, let's go ahead, move on over to Saturday. We got three games. Let's kick things off with the Vikings versus the Colts. Vikings, four-point favorites in this one. Uh, Mario, why don't you lead us off? I'll, I'll jump back in here in a second once uh, once the, the Leafmen have, have done their bidding. Yeah, uh, so the, the, the Colts, of course, are awful. There's, there's basically nothing redeeming about them. Uh, they they got some good players, but as a team, as as a as a theory, they are just repulsive, and I I think uh, we're going to keep getting mostly repulsive results out of them, even though the Vikings are also uh, the the Vikings are are a fake good team. The, the Colts are obviously not even a fake good team; they're just a very patently awful one. So uh, frauds or not, I'd be kind of disappointed. Uh, even as a skeptic, I'd feel a little let down by the Vikings if they really blow this game, the four and a half, five points is a different question. I suppose Uh, you could could imagine the Vikings playing very ugly in a way that makes the game close. Even if they don't blow it, Uh, that that's, that's easier to imagine them than them just losing it outright. But yeah, you really can't skip the possibility because it's like Kirk cousins has been playing legitimately awful all year. At least he's been producing awful. I can't claim to know specifically if it's like something to do with him or maybe just uh something that we could blame on O'Connell for having maybe a, a schematic tweak that just didn't really suit Cousins' skill set. Uh, they clearly lost something from the last, uh, basically every year of Cousins' career compared to this one. He's worse, and certainly the past couple of years, there's a sharp drop-off when none of the personnel changed, except for, you know, mid-season adding Hawkinson. And it's like that, there's, there's no reason for, for something to get that bad if the player didn't get worse themselves. And it, it, it right now it's tough to tell which it is. Uh, so I, I don't trust the Vikings. I, I feel like they're capable of kind of blowing it when they have even a theoretical advantage. And I know that I know they've won a lot of games for me to be saying that, but I just say it because it, it's to emphasize that much more just how actually lucky they have been. And um, if they get a little bit of bad luck against any team, uh, let, even the Colts, I feel like that's that's enough to take them down. So I'm, I'm worried for the Vikings, even though um, 
if they should just sell out against the run, you know, every every single drive, sell out against the run. If if Matt Ryan completes some passes to Michael Pittman, who cares? Those are twelve yard catches. No one's going to lose on twelve yard catches. So uh, eighty yard touchdown runs will end you. Uh, playing forty minutes on defense will end you, uh, especially right. if Kirk Cousins is the quarterback playing like he has this year. No, de- definitely. And um, you know, I, I was looking into the numbers a little bit. It looks like the Vikings are giving up the most passing yards per game in the, in the league right now. Um, which definitely checks out. You've definitely like mentioned them, even when the, the Vikings were on their hot streak earlier this year. It's like, well, like it's coming back to earth. Like that's not, not holding up. Sorry, I was just gonna say they a little bit encourage that by being good against the run. Like if they if they were worse against the run, their pass defense might uh, look a little better than it does. But yeah, they uh, if it were like any other offense, almost other than the Colts, I'd I'd be more concerned for that it's like if matt ryan wants to throw if they try to throw the ball 40 times with matt ryan what are they what are they accepting like six sacks and three fumbles like it's just That's a good uh, point to, to get matt ryan to the volume point where he, where he would really be capitalizing on this vulnerability with the vikings it's like you would need both sides to play out of character for like at least two quarters and that stuff definitely happens it's just you know it's it's the one out of ten two out of ten kind of stuff no, de- definitely. So well, well said there. It's just doesn't feel like Indianapolis, even with the, the soft matchup at hand, like just going to be able to take advantage of it as far as the, the passing game goes. Although uh, I'll say for, you know, like the, building a Saturday lineup, like it'll make me interested in someone like an Alec Pierce. But um, beyond that, a bad pick. And, and I guess I, I got to double check the Vikings depth chart, but like part of what has made their pass defense get worse or, or you know, I know it wasn't great to start with, but uh, it got worse when Cam Dantzler got hurt, and not just him, the fourth rounder from Missouri. Andrew Booth has been hurt pretty much all year. Mm. Uh, I'm sure he would have been able to help them. So they're, they're down to guys that I just have never heard of, like really, and like Duke Shelley. So uh, it's it's really bad at corner for them, and Alec Pierce can definitely beat any of the uh, non-Peterson corners. No, exactly. So so keep an eye there. And then What's what's going on with Dalvin Cook right now? Is this is this a matchup where he can get back on track a little bit? It's been quite some time since we, he had a Dalvin Cook game. Really, it was against uh, the Bills back in Week Ten that that he right. had over over fifteen fantasy points here, and and he only has one game in double digits over his last uh, four since then. So any way that that he gets things going a little bit here against Indianapolis? Yeah, there's a way. It's just uh, I think the burden of the decline of the passing game in Minnesota has largely fallen on Dalvin cook. And he was largely, you know, the, the, the main, not the main catalyst, but uh, the Kirk cousins production that we became accustomed to the, the Kirk cousins in Minnesota, as we knew it was always, or almost always in the context of Dalvin cook is playing for the Vikings and the defense has to care about that. And so it's like, you, you look at cousins, numbers, you have to remember that like that's kind of cook's production too. Like those looks wouldn't happen without Dalvin cook on the field. And with, with cousins not doing his part anymore to take advantage of those setups, it's like you're getting almost twice as much incentive to sell out against the run. And when you do sell out against the run and, and you have some amount of success, it's less likely than in previous years that the Vikings passing game will, you know, jump in and, and make up the difference. So you're getting, more cases than in the past where I think Dalvin cooks the same guy. I think he's still playing great, but these situations where defenses sold out to stop him in the past are a having more luck from the defense's perspective, obviously, and B 
there's there's drives ending faster. There's fewer points to be had in general, and and that's that's like another kind of compounding limitation on Cook. But the the deal with Cook is still that he is who he is, which is the kind of runner who, if you don't do everything correctly as a defense, if you don't do everything almost perfect as a defense, actually it only takes one or two plays for him to kind of reverse the game's flow on you and, and kind of just hand you a loss. So, uh, it, and it's kind of like Jonathan Taylor in a little bit too, on the other side where it's like you, you being a better defense isn't necessarily going to save you. Like you, you need to, uh, you, you need to actually account for all of your gaps all the time, because if you don't play at a pretty much near perfect or, you know, generally, fundamentally sound level then playing uh it, it'll, it'll come down more to like um just the talent differential basically and no one has the talent that taylor cook do so it's like you, you could see them go uh against a defense that sells out to stop them holds them to like 70 yards on 20 carries uh that one 80 yarder can happen if just like one guy is squared up one-on-one like you can't let the one-on-one situations happen with taylor and cook it's like in other cases your guy makes the tackle but with them they, they can they can make the big play and so when, when you are, to me like setting up that one-on-one is normally like a pretty good indicator of defensive scheming um it just doesn't get you the same return against running backs like these and uh, sorry this is, this is a long-winded way of saying i don't think bad matchups really matter much for taylor and cook because it, it's you would like the easy running. Yes. That's, that's preferable to, to grinding it out big play uh, kind of games. But as long as he's getting near that 20 carry mark and not that he needs the 20 carries, he's, he can go off and one through 10 too, but particularly when he's getting into a little bit of the rhythm and, and the defense is, is catching their breath a little bit. That's when players like Taylor and cook and, and only running backs like Taylor and cook and Chubb and, you know, that very exclusive company, they in those situations become about as dangerous as any player on offense. It's it's like a defense is just really in danger there. So the Colts, their run defense is tough. As long as they have Buckner or and or Stewart on the field, they're going to be a tough run defense. But Cook only needs that one one on one matchup, and and uh, not that it's guaranteed to happen. Indeed, it's probably less likely to happen against the Colts than most other defenses. But um, you you still, I think, consider Cook like a an inevitable player for the most part. And if it's not this week, then it's next week, but it's, it's like never far away. Okay. So that, that I think preempted the the question I was going to ask because uh, I definitely saw some chatter on this uh, on Twitter this week. And obviously that it's a place where a lot of junk takes uh, come out, but I saw the W word associated with Dalvin cook, or at least the question being posed, is he washed? We think no. It's yeah, I mean, look, I don't know what you can say about the state of uh, football commentary, be it on Twitter or wherever in particular. It's like, um, yeah, sometimes it's just like tilt posting, you know, or it's yeah. like, oh, I picked Dalvin Cook, my life is ruined, he's old. Um, yeah, no, exactly. That That's 100% where it's coming from. So maybe he's not having his best season, but I, I, I think well, to, I to put the W on him. You know, I'm not above tilt posting, but like, no. don't say things like, you know, the, the guy who just – uh, stomped all over the Bills' defense is actually old and slow now. Yeah, have a have a little perspective, have a little patience. Um, before we get on over to the next Saturday game, uh, John Jennings, our guy, has been uh, patiently waiting for us to answer this one. It's pretty interesting. Pacheco or James Connor this week? Um, you know, James Connor. He's been playing well, but at the same time, 
no Kyler Murray, obviously, and you go to Denver. Tough defense, even still. I know that the Chiefs got them a bit last week, but uh, obviously the Cardinals are going to be able to pull the same stuff, whereas the Chiefs with Pacheco, they have the Texans probably going to be able to kind of put it in neutral for a decent bit of this game. I don't think that it's going to go quite the way that the Cowboys-Texans game did a week ago. So I I think game script really does favor Pacheco and matchup, of course, favors Pacheco here. Yeah, uh, definitely not going to hate on Connor or anything. I I think he's a good player, but Pacheco's got... Um, easy matchup. The team context could not really be much more favorable for him, so I'd probably go with Pacheco. And, and I don't know. I'd, I'd I'd feel a little anxious about it, but you're in a you have a good problem to have at the very least. No, d- definitely. Um, I don't think there there will end up being a ton of separation between the two. Uh, there there's obviously fairly low floors for either. You know, if Denver just shuts down Arizona, then you know that that the Connor play. Uh, gets pretty problematic if Andy Reid uh, starts farting around with, with the running back rotation again. That then you know things get dicey for Pacheco. But I mean Pacheco, the way he runs, you know, kind of like what you were saying about Dalvin Cook, and he doesn't need the twenty carries. One through ten, he could end up getting it done. Like that. That's the type of setup that we're looking at against the Texans. Yeah, and Pacheco because he ha- like if if Dalvin Cook had Mahomes at quarterback, he'd average like six and a half yards a carry. It's it's a uh... It's it's basically just be a cannonball, like just run run at the space that Mahomes gets conceded to him by the defense. And uh, Pacheco is is like the in this particular matchup anyway. It's like Dalvin Cook playing on you know easy mode every time. Yeah, be a cannonball. The the sequel to to Bruce Lee's Be Water. Um, so. <laughs> I I uh I gotta say, John, the only thing I know about kung fu movies is from other movies that are not kung fu. Mo- in this case, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So yeah, <laughs> I'll I'll believe you on that reference, but I have no idea what it means. What that is? It's such a great movie, and really one of the one of the best scenes from that movie. Uh, the guy who played Bruce Lee, oh, incredible, so funny. Um, anywho, let's move on. Uh, Jamie wants to know: Do we think? T. Higgins is going to play, obviously, wearing some scar tissue from last weekend, myself included, on that one. Uh, let's see. So he was limited Wednesday. That's all. Yeah, we he's been dealing with this for a few weeks, and I, I don't know what was going on last week. Like it could have been he had like a setback either in the game before or in practice leading up to last week, and the Bengals just didn't acknowledge it or. It could have come down to maybe just him tweaking it in warmups, in which case, like if I, if that's what it was, I don't know why that would happen one week and not the one before it. But uh, I'm sorry, I just don't think we can actually answer the question because we just we need spies in Cincinnati and we don't have them. But uh, conventionally, when a player's a, a limited practice participant beginning on Wednesday, and as long as they don't have a setback in practice, they almost always play on Sunday, and uh, you know we're. We're, we're dealing with the margins of almost always is and it I, I, not that this is something to do with Higgins specifically, but it's like league wide. I feel like the injury reporting protocol has kind of been hacked away at like teams are testing what they can uh, omit and kind of like mislead about without getting in trouble from the league. And I, I think um, the answer is it's like teams can basically say whatever they want to, and the league is not prepared to uh, enforce any standard otherwise. So, uh, not that I have any good solution for that. It's it's like an honor system kind of thing, but uh, I really wish we would get more transparency from the teams. It's it's just uh, that that is very directly against the interests of those teams, so I don't know why they would go along with it. 
Yeah, would would be nice uh, as those in in the fantasy and in betting world, but uh, you know that, like you said, they they're gonna push push to the edge of of what's acceptable by league standards. Um, and then uh, one more from Jamie before we move on. Uh, instead of Garrett Wilson, it's Elijah Moore. Uh, so Elijah Moore, uh, DPJ or Pacheco? I think it's Pacheco. Yeah, Pacheco or Wilson, but Pacheco, I I think. <laughs> Okay, and uh, actually, it, it I, I don't even know, man. That's it, it's a coin flip between Wilson and Pacheco for me. I don't know. It's, they're both really but good. Wilson, great, but um, he he mistyped or he he entered the wrong uh, Jets receiver. He meant Elijah Moore. Oh well, Pacheco, yeah, yeah. Moore got more involved last week, which is good. Ran a lot of routes. You need uh, Michael Lafleur to get uh, put on a one of those. Uh, like a crate on a, on a ship that takes him to a different part of the world. And then Elijah Moore will really break out. Uh, I thought you were going to say they need to put him on like, you know, like the, the liver diet, get him, get him more teed up so he can be a man and oh, all beef throw the ball the to him. Yeah. Yeah. All awful and beef all the time. <laughs> just no water. Just drinking tallow to, if you, on the side. If you need to wash it down, just throw some salt in there and swish it around. It's <laughs> like, uh, Instead of chewing gum, chew bacon from from the Simpsons. Um, all right, let's move on over. Uh, other Saturday game, uh, we were just talking about DPJ, or he was just brought up. Uh, let's let's dive in there. We got the Ravens going up to Cleveland to face the Browns. Browns two and a half or three point favorites, depending on where you're looking. Tyler Huntley has been practicing. I don't know if he's officially cleared concussion protocol just yet but it, i think things are trending in that direction so that that's how i've been processing it this week i think we're, we're at least another way a week away for, from lamar jackson being back uh if it was anthony brown starting it'd be a very very tough road for, for the ravens to do anything in this spot i was a little bit surprised that he made an nfl roster to be to be frank but uh tyler huntley can do enough and i was very encouraged last week uh, by J.K. Dobbins and and how well he ran against the Steelers, who knew that the Ravens were going to be running the ball and still, uh, you know, was was able to have the the level of success uh, that he did. We still haven't like fully seen Gus Edwards crush it yet. Kenyon Drake can have his little fits and starts here and there. Uh, Justice Hill can't really hang on to the ball, um, but I, I think really, as far as fantasy goes, like it's Dobbins and. I mean, like you, you're kind of like force starting Andrews, but like I don't know how many teams that, that drafted Andrews are like in a great playoff position at, at this point. Unfortunately, I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, I don't know what the the advance rate is on that or whatever, but it's definitely a good uh, setup for Andrews if he's ever playing. Uh, but especially when the quarterback just can't really throw to the receivers, and uh, I know they're getting like Demarcus Robinson a little bit, but I, I love. I love how uh, how just futile the Demarcus Robinson role is. It's like he's getting these catches because defenses are selling out to to spam Mark Andrews and, and the quarterback rush threat and the running back rush threat and even uh, like the Duvernay tricks in the middle of the field from which he's not eligible to to do anything else. He's he's, he's got to be in that uh, slot decoy thing to free up playmakers like Demarcus Robinson. And it's like why do you think that corner? Why do you think they're leaving backup corners one-on-one with Robinson on the sideline over and over and over and over? It's because they don't care. And Greg Roman sees that. He's like, oh, good play. It's like, no, bad play. You're losing. You, you you lose all the time for no reason, and it's just ridiculous. And uh, 
I, I think I think the Ravens offense is just total garbage and it's dependent on that, you know, kind of 40 yard heroics from Dobbins. Uh, Cleveland run defense could get that kind of, you know, 40 yard play out of pretty much any NFL running back. Uh, certainly Dobbins, if he's 85 percent or better, he's, he's better than most running backs. And uh, I think Gus is better than most pure runners when he's fully healthy. But all these moving parts. Um, I, I feel like uh, even with Cleveland dysfunctional on the other side, I just I don't have as much that I have to wonder about with them. So I I think this breaks down like the the Cleveland def, uh, the Cleveland offense. Amari Cooper should pretty much be shadowed by Marlon Humphrey all the time. I don't know why the Ravens would let that go any other way. With that said, Donovan Peoples Jones. Uh, is a problem for these other corners that they have. And I, I think people Jones is just probably a pretty good player in general. So uh, you don't need to look at it as like the Ravens corner is bad. You can still just kind of think like, you know, that guy's kind of becoming a problem in his own right. Uh, and Joku played last week, should play this week too. So as long as you can threaten like the second and third pass catching threat against this Ravens defense, I don't know if they can really defend themselves there. Cause they have Humphrey, they have corners who can't play. And uh, I guess Marcus Williams might be back. He's back. Soon. Okay, He's back. so Hamilton that too. Definitely, that definitely helps with like the downfield seam coverage, but I don't know how you at all times protect that second and third non-Humphrey corner if you're the Ravens. And uh, not that not that I can assume Deshaun Watson's in a place to take advantage of that right now, but it's like the Ravens just have so many profound weaknesses. And uh, the, whereas when the Browns are bad, I feel like it's more of a nature, more of a thing like, oh, they screwed up, stupid Browns, you know, uh, with the Ravens, it's like, there's just, there's just all these failure points and they're, they're not doing anything to make it better. And I, I just don't know how it could get better. I think the Ravens can beat the Browns with one hand tied behind their back. <laughs> I do. The Browns are stinky, stinky poo poo. Uh, Deshaun Watson not fixing them this year. I think the Ravens go in there and and make people feel sour. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it'd be probably a pretty ugly game, I figure. If so, yep. And uh, and we're all going to be watching it. It will. Well, there's some well, good bowl might. games on. Maybe yes. check in on that. But uh, I will be watching. Uh, and it's yeah, it's not going to be uh, the most beautiful game of football uh, ever played. Uh, before we get on over to the last Saturday game, we'll move on over to Sunday. Message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
and a message from our friends over at No House Advantage. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning big cash prizes. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars every week. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20x your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league. That includes NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up with the promo code NHAWIRE, that's N-H-A-W-I-R-E at NoHouseAdvantage.com, or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. All right, capping things off uh, for the Saturday slate, Dolphins, Bills, Buffalo, cold weather, Miami, warm weather. Birds. What happens? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think Mike McDaniel and Tua have some, some real difficulties ahead, but I don't want to really uh, indulge the whole, like, you know, are they great or do they suck actually uh, kind of game that, that is, other, I guess, otherwise – encouraged I, I think yes they the the Dolphins were pretty dependent on this particular set of moves on offense and yeah anytime you're really dependent on one thing to win over and over you have to expect that adjustment to happen and you have to you know worry about what, what the fallout is from that but I don't think that it means especially when when a passing game is working to the extent that the Dolphins was and you know specifically these in-breaking routes that teams are that the, the 49ers really showed how, how to give trouble uh, to by, by spamming the middle of the field. It's like when they, when they're having the level of success that they did, even if it's a sort of success that's unsustainable, the, the reason it's unsustainable usually is because the defense has stopped playing you the same way and they give you a different look. The reason that the defense didn't give you that look in the first place is because it leaves them more vulnerable to a different thing than they wanted to be left vulnerable to the first time around. And you has in, in McDaniel's, uh, position you have to figure out what that new opening is you have to figure out where they moved resources from to give you this new problem that you didn't used to have they unless they're playing with 12 players on the field and they were playing with 11 before there's something that they're weaker to now and you have to get at it and i think traditionally uh and particularly looking at the way the chargers played them the way you get the defense to pay for selling out to stop any part of the passing game is to run and if you can take advantage of those lighter fronts, those those fewer resources going towards stopping the point of attack and stopping the run game from breaking through it, that's when you uh, f- find openings like uh, what Jeff Wilson did before he got hurt. And if you saw his only three carries, it looked like there was no defense there because there basically wasn't. They were putting all of the def- defensive resources toward trying to keep Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle from getting open in the middle of the field. And you can't actually do that like the Chargers were and like the 49ers have without turning your eye a little bit away from the run game. And I think when Jeff Wilson got hurt in that Chargers game, the, the Dolphins offense was dead. And that's a ridiculous place to find yourself as a team, as a, mm. a personnel manager. It's like, hey, it's great if Jeff Wilson wins you the game some week. That's that's fine. 
But if you lose because Jeff Wilson got hurt, you did a really bad job as a GM. And you did, they didn't have the personnel to hammer between the tackles and between the guards, which is where the Chargers left themselves weakest to divert resources further down the field for the pass. And once once they lost their one uh, unremarkable means, by the way, of, of attacking that part of the field, they were just done. They had no other move. So that's that's a big problem to have. And at this point in the year, they can't do anything about it. And it's a problem that they will probably have again, certainly against the Bills, certainly in Buffalo. Only this time, you're going to get the defense that has much better run-stopping personnel and is more prepared to stop the run. Uh, they, the Bills don't need to sell out against the pass to stop the pass. They don't need to sell out against anything to stop anything. And that's a big difference from the way like Staley was running his defense. Like They're not going to sell out to, to give them the, the same problem that they had against the Chargers. And instead of Jeff Wilson having a completely clear runway to run through as, as a condition, as a necessary condition of that, there's just nowhere for Jeff Wilson to go this time. And you get the same right. bad passing game. So uh, I don't know what the Dolphins can realistically do in this setting to compete. Like they're going to, they have to just throw the ball a lot and just try to drive up Tyreek Hill's Jalen Waddle's target volume and hope that they carry them with yardage after the catch and stuff like What's that. What's going on with Waddle right now? Like, the, is oh, it, cause we talked about the, the, was it the tibia or the fibula? Cause the fibula. one of them bones is hurting. And he, you know, just didn't do anything on Sunday. And Tyreek kind of had a busted wheel, it looked like. But, I mean, he obviously had an awesome game. He's been practicing in full, so should be fine for this one. But, um, you know, the Dolphins' offense as a whole looks a lot less scary when you don't have both of those guys cooking. Yeah, uh, I could imagine Waddle's numbers more so just suffering for the decline that Tua was, was inevitably going to see, especially if Tua can't threaten with a greater variety of pass game looks. Uh, I think Waddle's great, but like the, when the, when the, uh, when the pie starts to shrink, uh, sometimes the tree gets like unevenly narrowed. Like it's, it's uh, sorry for using a weird mixed metaphor. Uh, but when, when, uh, when, when the Tua goes from 300 yards passing to 200, it's not necessarily like Tyreek and Waddle uh, lose at an equal rate. Sometimes it's just like, the second function of the second receiver gets cut entirely uh, if only to keep the first one fully intact. And I think that's the kind of thing that the dolphins are doing. And it's, it's practically understandable. I mean, McDaniel looking at Waddle and Hill would be correct to say, well, Hill is more dangerous. So if one of them must get cut, we're cutting Waddle. That, that makes enough sense to me, even, even though I'm, you know, as big of a Waddle fan as anybody uh, with that said, you the fibula thing, I mean, particularly when they specifically name the bone like that, it's like, yeah, and I don't even know what that is. You gotta be, you gotta be getting like way into the, 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 the leg worksheet, the, the leg bone worksheet to, to point out that. And if you're pointing out that, uh, that's not just like a general soreness thing. That's like, he took a shot at a very particular place. Um, so they listed him on the injury report with that. And then Friday they take him off. And it, that, this is me going back to the injury reporting protocol <laughs> and the enforcement of it. It's like, I can believe that he had the fibula injury to start with. What I can't believe is like that he doesn't have it now on Friday. Yeah, no. you know? So it's like you see all the times guys getting taken off. You know, Rogers with his thumb, I guess, might be the most visible one this year. Guys getting taken off of the injury report with no designation when they are clearly still injured. So Waddle could be that case too. I don't, I don't know how to tell from afar. Yeah, it makes things tricky. Um, I have a lot of best ball teams that that are stacked up with Dolphins, and that's carried me well. 
Although, luckily, in a couple spots, there's been a bit of a passing of the baton where Trevor Lawrence was really bad to start oh, the year. Man. Now he now he's cooking. So, like, just as Tua drops off, we're okay. We're okay. So, we're, we're, we'll see how we're doing there. Um, but enough about my fantasy teams. Um, we got a ton of questions. Let's hit some. Uh, love our viewers. Love, our, love the people tuning into the live stream. So, let's do right by them. Nick wants to know, and Nick looks like he has a Georgia Bulldog AVI, so we got to get to him. Would you grab Jeff Driscoll? I think I think his position eligibility differs on certain sites. Oh, this is a real thing. <laughs> I was like, I can't tell what the what the joke is here, but if, <laughs> I guess it's not a joke at all. Who's laughing? Oh uh, well, not me. I mean, Jeff Driscoll. I, I feel like you could find a better tight end prospect, but uh, I mean, hats off to the Texans. Uh, what, do whatever you'd like; it doesn't matter. But uh, I don't think Jeff Driscoll. Outside of Superflex, anyway, is, is likely to be useful because uh, it seems like Houston was committed to that red zone specialty position. Like they're trying to do a Taysom Hill thing with him, which mm-hmm. is really funny for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's but it's uh, if he's listed at tight end, maybe then uh, does Driscoll become you know worth consideration as the uh, dollar store Taysom Hill? Yeah, I mean if uh, if Pierce is is dinged up, then. You know, they got to have someone that can push the pile. And Driscoll, you know, for as not great as he is at, at playing quarterback, he's pretty good at being pretty big and reasonably athletic. He's good so. at being a huge guy who runs into thing fast. Yeah. So and let's see how that some, goes. Something to be said for that. Uh, yeah. Fam first wants to know. Um, so with Lamar obviously being hurt, um, would you start Brock Purdy tonight, Matt Ryan on Saturday, or Andy Dalton on Sunday? Oh man, uh, that's pretty tough. I I feel like Ryan has the most upside, but I feel like there's a lot more risk with him than the other two. And and maybe maybe I'd go with Dalton just because the matchup is so friendly, and I I don't know what to make of Purdy on the road in a short week. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it might be a coward's pick, but I would say Dalton. Okay. Okay. All right. I I think oh, I would probably got that other part on there too. Yes. Would you Would you sit one or who would you sit of these three? Christian Kirk, Chris Olave, or Kenneth Walker in a PPR? Walker. I think I think I'm sitting Walker as well. Um. All right. We got uh, Rollo. Um. So we we were just talking about Jalen Waddle. So if if uh you have Garrett Wilson or Christian Watson, would you pivot off of Waddle for either of those guys? Uh, definitely Garrett Wilson. Who is a uh, Green Bay's matchup? Uh, they have they have the Rams at home. Yeah, I'd go with Wilson there. Okay, all right. I I think I would too. Watson, very very interesting, of course, with with that matchup. But um, there we go. Um, I definitely can't argue against Wilson right now. He's he's cooking. Um, let's see. Uh, DJ Duvernay wants to know Evan Ingram or Greg Dolchich this week. Oh, man, Ingram is tough for me to think through because I still really, really hate the way the Jaguars are using him. But uh, he got going last week after a couple later big plays, after some early struggles. And uh, if Trevor Lawrence keeps playing the way he has, then it's like, John, I believe you or I might be able to be like a top uh, 20 fantasy tight end in in the the Trevor Lawrence offense right now. Uh, I don't want to just like omit Dulcich because uh, 
obviously the, the Denver offense to, to roaring success has committed itself to, to building around him. Uh, but I, I think I got to go uh, with, I, I won't say Engram is better than Dulcich. I, I do think he is. If they, this is, this is, this is what's so maddening to me. Uh, <laughs> if they, if they used him exactly like the Broncos used Dulcich, Evan Engram would have like a thousand yards already. They just keep using him like underneath and doing like these crossing routes. Like he ran, he was a post route merchant. From the slot, he was a post route merchant at Mississippi. And, and the, what, what did the Broncos do with Dulcich? He's always lining up at receiver. He's always running downfield. He never has to play real tight end. He doesn't have to do these stupid two yard curls over and over and over and over. So uh, yeah, I, I at the very least hope Doug watches Dulcich this week and has a light bulb go off. Uh, but um, I, I would go with Engram in the meantime because his quarterback isn't a total goober. Yeah, no, but. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence, uh, tiebreaker uh, there for for me as well. And then uh, interesting little, little running back uh, nugget as well. Would you consider David Montgomery o- over either Travis Etienne or Saquon Barkley? I think maybe over probably Etienne. Not. No, but I, I was going to say probably not. And uh, I don't know. Uh, let's see. I was going to say maybe over Barkley just because uh, the Washington run defense has been pretty good. But I guess that doesn't really matter. Uh, with with Barkley, I, I don't think I would. I, I, okay, I don't. But not that I not that I feel strongly about it though. St- All right, so st- we're staying in Pat Etn and Saquon. Um, let's see. Uh, let's unpack the the Bills side quickly. Uh, we uh, before we move on. Um, your thoughts on how they're looking right now offensively, and and how they might kind of gear things up th- this week against the Dolphins. I think they still look a little odd. Like, uh, I don't know if Josh Allen's elbow, if if it's like he he has a certain number of shots he can make it take in a game, like a, a few a certain number of times that he can let it rip, and then it like needs to let it heal a few days. I don't know if that's what's going on, but I, I don't see him like really opening up the offense like he did earlier this year. He's, he's had like momentary, uh, you know, throwing that that looks like the old Josh Allen, and then other plays where you're like. Wait, what exactly was he doing there? So I'm a little concerned for that. Uh, for this game, I'm not, though, because I, I think they'll have such good field. I, I think the Dolphins' offense is just uh, short of Tyreek Hill giving them, like, 80 yards after the catch in this game. I think the Dolphins' offense is pretty much just dead. So I don't think the Bills' offense needs to do that much other than sit on the field positioning that they get. Um, the Dolphins' run defense has been good and much better than the pass, so they might kind of they might play tough against the run and sort of invite big plays from, from the bills passing game, just viewing it as, as better than, you know, letting the run get established first. But even if they have some amount of success for that, I, I think the bills just eventually break through it. Uh, even if they have to just kind of like run a lot and, and barely eke out first downs and tire out the dolphins first, it's like that that's all on the table. I don't know how they could blow it. And, you know, for, for the record, I, I think that the Dolphins are really going to struggle. I'm I'm trying to, like, not buy, like, the, the cold weather narrative and everything, but, like, I just don't see Tua ripping the ball through 16-mile-an-hour wins with, with ease. Like, that just is not no. really him. Uh, not even if you, like, reverse the film so he looks like a right-handed quarterback. I still can't see it. So, um, I am I'm very concerned about Miami. I do love the Bills in this spot. Uh, let's head on over to Sunday. Oh, we love this game. Steelers, Panthers, Steel Panther, 
hilarious band. Yeah, I think. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting really sad thinking about this game. Um, Give the Panthers. Panthers. I mean, they got for, some juice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really ugly. I'll admit that it. Uh, even as someone who uh, is a little bit more fond of running the ball than than all the the apparently new wave of analysts, I, I I'm not exactly a fan of of the kind of game that the Panthers are playing right now, but. Hey, they, they're, they're just, they, they have a pretty straightforward strategy. It's just like try to bear hug your opponent and like jump in, just bear hug your opponent and then jump into the water and, and just like try to drown both of you. And like you get, you get out at the last second kind of thing is, is all that they're really doing. And uh, that that's their, their, their ability to compete basically comes down to how the ball bounces. It's like they, they have to win two coin flips in a row, basically. And that's 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 what it comes down to for them. And then they 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 don't even really like aspire to run like an NFL offense. They're running this like 20 pass attempt, like wishbone with Sam Darnold. So uh, I don't think you can really compete for a very this is this is almost it's almost like when uh, the the my, uh, the Dolphins started doing like a wildcat Ronnie Brown offense for a couple of weeks. It's like, hey, they're winning. This team is just a, like no one game plans for such a stupid you know scheme. <laughs> But then when you when you if you are forced uh, out of necessity to, to to just like take them seriously enough to beat them or if you're the if you're Mike Tomlin and you're just like a really good coach and you you pay attention to, to game planning things and you come up with uh, pragmatic game planning from week to week you look at the Panthers and you figure something out because they only have so many tricks and and you're start you know more than the the last guy and even the last guy might come up with a better answer this time around if he if he saw what he did last week so i think the steelers probably roll here uh not sure how in this and for for the steelers rolling means winning by five uh so they're they're gonna win like uh 13 to 7 or something like that so i guess what i will say is i felt like the steelers by and large might have played better than than baltimore last week um but mitchell trubisky like the turnover factor, it's like can't, it can't it can't be ignored. Like he threw three just horrendous picks deep in Baltimore territory, and that you know that and the blocked field goal really kind of like altered the game completely and ended Ravens up. With got him. whooped, honestly. I mean, to, yeah. to have three red zone turnovers and a, a special teams turnover, it's like you you should win by twenty one points when you do that. Yeah, not not squeak it out at, at the last second. So, um, yeah. Not, but I, I'm still firm on them beating the Browns. But um, I, I feel like the the Steelers, if there's no picket and it's Trubisky out there, like I, I think with the ball hawking nature of of the Panthers on defense right now and the pass rush that they have against an offensive line that stinks, really stinks, and they're at home. I give the Panthers a, a fighting shot in this one. Oh yeah, the Panthers certainly have more than a fighting shot. I just. Um... You know these 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 kinds of teams can lose anything. Uh, they when they score so few points, it's like if you're if you're a one possession team by design, it's like you're gonna have bad luck streaks, you're gonna have good luck streaks, and neither yeah. of them will mean anything. And I just I just kind of think that the the Steelers are more prepared to to kind of live in the mud, like really live there. Whereas I, f- I feel like the Panthers are kind of just like nomads and all of this i don't know i I, I don't i don't think they're i don't think they're built for this life as much as the steelers are okay so that they only adopted the mud steelers born in it (laughs) 
Got it. Yes, that's exactly it. Um, so I think that that basically ties up our, our Steelers Panthers preview. I don't, I don't think there's much else to to tackle there. Um, Bears Eagles is actually pretty interesting. Bears nine point dogs at home. Uh, the the Eagles heading into last week had struggled at least against the spread uh, on the road. Uh, they absolutely destroyed the Giants. Your your, your summation that this uh, Giants pass defense wouldn't be able to hold up was completely accurate. Um, but I feel like the, the bears have a little bit as crazy as it is to say, like a little bit of a livelier offense. I know they don't have Mooney don't have Herbert, but they're coming off the bye. You got to figure that fields is going to be a little bit closer to a hundred percent. I mean, he's just a problem for, for defenses right now. It, it, it's limited in the ways that he can do it, but when he does win, like it, you know, it's, it, it can really change things. So I think that the bears, their defense is in big trouble here. Of course, I, I think the Eagles will basically be, be able to name their score, but I just, I'm a Justin Fields believer at, at this point. Yeah, uh, definitely a Justin Fields believer and the bears could make it a little tough on the Eagles defense. If they put Claypool in the slot all the time against Josiah Scott, I don't know if Avante Maddox is back, but, However, you can get your best route runner away from Darius Slay and James Bradbury. That's something you need to do against the Eagles, and you do it by getting in the slot. So uh, we'll see uh, if if Claypool has a good game, and I'm you know, thinking like 80 yards or more. Maybe then I can imagine the Bears covering, but I I don't know. I I, I think you're right about the Eagles' offense side. I just don't know what the Bears can do to even keep them under like 40, you know, like I, I worry about them giving up points every single drive in this game. So I just don't know. Like I'm, I'm having to imagine Justin Fields, like throwing for 300 yards and three touchdowns to keep up with that kind of uh, outburst from the, from the Eagles. And I can't quite see Fields doing it given his, the, you know, the team around him on offense basically. So I think the Eagles cover and I, I, I think Fields, a, like, I, I don't understand how anyone could question him at this point. I, I thought a lot of the criticisms were ridiculous at the to start with. But to to even question him, let alone doubt him at this point, is, is like, belligerently stupid, in my opinion. But he still has no help, and this is still a very good defense. So he could, uh, particularly if Jalen Hurts has, like, four touchdowns and the Eagles are pushing for 40 points, Fields will eventually, in that scenario, press to make a play to keep up and, you know, it, can imagine him turning the ball over pretty quickly if he in this to test and impress the the Eagles defense is to say you have to eventually test someone other than the slot corner you're eventually gonna have to throw at Slay and Bradbury and when it comes to that point that's when I think the Bears basically just fall apart because uh, it'd be one thing if they had a decent receiver running against Slay or Bradbury but uh, Claypool doesn't cut it you need Claypool in the slot and a second threat who can give you contributions on the outside and I don't see it so I, I know that, you know, like, like we're saying, there's really no outside personnel to, to speak of. And it, even if there was, it'd be tough matchups against those corners. Cole Komet's had some success, um, yeah. you know, uh, since He's in the right the, part the, of the field. So do we think that, you know, he he might be a key here as well? Uh, sorry, I don't have a good sense of how much the Bears specifically use him to counter pass rush issues. Uh, if he has to block more to deal with the Eagles pass rush, then that's obviously a problem 
including yeah. for Justin Fields, because there is no one else who can contribute as a pass catcher if Komet doesn't do it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I, I will say, I think if Komet does run routes, then he'll produce with them. I, I worry about him having like, instead of like a 40 route game, more like 25 and he blocks a bunch more than he might against a team with like a weak rotation on the defensive line. Okay, so we're we're kind of hoping to to thread the needle then as as far need as the Tristan Ebner uh, wide receiver unveiling, and then then we've got enough uh, route runners to project like to budget a, a two hundred yard passing game from Fields. You, you know, it'd be sick if like the the receiver they took on day two like was useful. Wouldn't that be cool? Who was that? Vales Jones, right? Oh, Vales Jones, yeah. yeah. Oh. Wouldn't that be cool? About... Never, never take a twenty-five-year-old gunner in the third round. Uh, and they probably took him over some real good ones too. That's yeah, it. yeah, like almost undoubtedly. I'll, I'll see if I can uh, pull pull that up at some point and see see the the receiver pecking order and and uh, yeah, the compounding mistake of that one. Um, before we move on to our next game, got a handful more questions. Uh, Chris, patiently waiting. Uh, let's get to you, Chris. Uh, Acres. Acres or Burkhead? Okay, Acres is the I mean, answer. Is, sorry, is, is Pierce out? Out? I think he has a high ankle sprain. So. Oh yeah, he's out. So, I'm sorry, John. Do the do the Texans have another? Who, they don't have Marlon Mack. I know that, but uh, I think we're we're in the Daria Gumbawale days. Oh right, they have the. That's what they have. Two guys who are both really bad third down specialists. Oh man. Uh Sorry, John. I, I answered a little quicker than I should have. I think I'm still thinking Acres, but do we? The the thing that I'm worried about with Burkhead is that if the Texans fall far behind, he might not be able to capitalize on the garbage time because it might be a Gumbo Wale or like anybody who, who plays in that case because the Texans know they're not actually competing. So they, I don't know. Burkhead, if he gets 40 snaps, is the answer. I just don't think he will. I guess is why I'm sticking with Acres. All right, Acres it is, but uh, I feel queasy about both of them, frankly. Yeah, it's tough, sorry. Uh, Joey wants to know, uh, Devin Singletary, Drake London, Gus Edwards, or Chris Moore? Uh, I'd, I, I'd stick with Singletary. Yeah, I, I think I would as well. Um, he, could get, just, he could get like three touchdowns in this game. Even if he is held under 50 yards, he could still get uh, like 20 fantasy points in this. Yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely in on Singletary. I'm just I'm very confident in the Bills this week. Uh, Steven wants to know, uh, should I drop, I'm guessing Pierre Strong, pick up uh, Jalen Warren uh, so, because Najee is dinged up apparently? Yeah, uh, I will say I think Ayuk is a totally good – and Pittman – sorry, the last part of this question is are Pittman and Ayuk good flexes? And I would say in most cases, uh, certainly Ayuk in any case. Um, what is the latest thing with Harris here? Um, uh, he's he's diagnosed with being head. mid. He's mid. And <laughs> um, I, feel, I feel like Harris is getting such an unfair deal. It's like people are – not you, John, but some people are just kind of like, I feel like, I don't know, penalizing him for them being too high on him in the first place. It's like, Yeah, the, uh, no, they had the, the dizzying highs of last year and the terrifying lows of this year when really he's in the creamy middle. 
Yeah, if I called him Steven Jackson as a prospect, I, I'd feel maybe more sting about the way it's turned out for him. But he's exactly the guy that I think we had reason to suspect, which, A, is still pretty good. Like, it's it's he, he hasn't even been bad. Like, he's at, he's doing the exact same peripheral stats as last year. It's exactly the same. And, and like, the tune is just like, oh, he sucks now because uh, I, I just wrote off his rookie year as, as – anomalously low yards per carry and thought that it would get better this year because uh, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that guy who says r- rushing yards per carry isn't real. Um, uh, pushed some propaganda that got people thinking Harris would run for five yards a carry this year. And, and that's why they're so bitter. They're like he's doing a good job and uh, that team sucks. So I, I, as someone who was saying like ETN over Harris, no questions asked, I, I still feel like Harris is getting like left with, uh, with, with like, the stench of failure that should be on uh, the, you know, analysis community at large. But in any case, this hip thing, if, if he's not practicing today, Thursday, then I worry definitely and, and start to get my hopes up a little higher for Jalen Warren. Um, if Harris is playing though, I don't think Warren's going to do, I think I need Harris to sit out for Warren to be useful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's the way I view it. I mean, if you, if you're pressed for time though, like, would you, at this moment or, or before waivers run again over the weekend. Oh, sorry. It was you dropped, uh, I believe Pierre strong or Jalen Warren. <sighs> I'm sorry. What was Stevenson's injury? Like Stevenson. I think out. he might've hurt his ankle as well. Uh, okay. I will, well, I'll I will say this. I, I think if, if, if Stevenson is out, then strong is my answer. Even if Harris is out, man, Monday night was, for as bad as that game was, like that that was a game for you and I. Like with Kevin Harris scoring a touchdown, Pierre Strong looking good, it's like ah, oh, sweet sweet vindication. Yeah, uh, yeah, we were probably the only people uh, mentally ill enough to know any of those names at that point. <laughs> yep, it, let alone like not just know them, but be legitimately excited about them. It's like, to have oh, a God. very detailed opinion. About <laughs> like, listen. The Jackrabbits, he was the engine of their offense last year. Pay attention. Um, <laughs> uh, Pierre Strong, Hive, uh, it's real. Uh, I, I will say I have those two rookies for the Patriots. I, I feel like they're complete wild cards. Like even Harris, I think we both like him. But A, he's an underclassman. B, he's he's clearly one of those guys who's like working into a rhythm. Like when you see Kevin Harris get carries with the Patriots, even in the preseason, he doesn't look like the guy at South Carolina because you can tell he's still thinking when he's running. And sometimes guys never get out of their own heads that, that way. Uh, but when they do, uh, if they do, it's like you can see the switch happen right there. And I really hope that happens with Harris because you can tell he's he's like thinking when he's running and, and he could do so much more than he has. Yeah, and that, you know, fumbling as a rookie, never good. Fumbling as a rookie. It's like a for screwed up handoff thing. It's yeah. Like that's, I don't know. It, he, I'll blame Mac Jones. That's fine. And the other thing is, Pierre Strong has made mental errors too. And he's actually like an overclass. He's like 24 already, whereas Harris like might have just turned 22. So Strong has no good excuse to be messing up cues. And yet he has. So Belichick might want to kill Kevin Harris most of the time, but he still might need to rely on him for like 30 snaps here if Stevenson's out. Yeah, and Stevenson was not practicing as of Wednesday, so um, you know there there is a chance it's the rookie show a little bit once again on Sunday. Um, one more question here before we 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 got to start 
ripping through these games. Um, Alvin Kamara or Aaron Jones for for the playoffs. I, I guess you know got to win one week at a time. Aaron Jones for me against the Rams. Uh, I kind of like Kamara against the Falcons. So I don't know. I guess I'll go with Kamara, but I have no idea. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, fair. And, uh, you know, th- this could be uh, the game I-, I always, like, am trying to will into existence where the Packers just, like, steamroll with A.J. Dillon in-, in a cold December night at Lambeau Field. Um, let's keep going here. Uh, quickly, Chiefs-Texans. Chiefs, 14-point favorites. I'm on the Texans to cover, but... 14 points? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Statistically, I mean, like Dallas, the, the big road favorites are not covering right now. Interesting. And yeah, I mean, as Dallas showed last week, there is absolutely a such thing as a clearly better team, just like not using its resources against a lesser one. Uh, if they, if Dallas was calling that like a playoff game, Davis Mills gets sacked nine times. I, I don't care how, how uh, well the Texans played or how badly Dallas did there. It's like, there was there was a degree of intention to, to the way they played that game. And uh, the Chiefs could fall to the same thing. There's no reason for them to be using uh, ambitious blitz packages. There's no reason to use disguised coverages in this game. So if the Chiefs are playing preseason defense on purpose, yeah, that, that'd be an easy way for, for the Texans to cover. I, just, I think it'll require that because the Texans really, ugh, man, it's brutal. And uh, yeah. the Chiefs, I, I feel like, even though the the Dallas or no they the, they couldn't stop Dallas, the Texans had a couple good games against the run and then fell back apart against Dallas. I definitely see this matchup with the Chiefs as more the second thing, like especially if when Mahomes is on the field, they can't defend the run. Right, and and uh, as as John asked us about earlier, we, we did get to that, but Pacheco over James Conner for kind of for that that this, reason this is a really good setup for him this should be like a 120 yard game for pacheco something like that there's any justice in this world um let's see here before we get on over to our next game got a message from our friends over at monkey knife fight football is officially back on monkey knife fight with all the nfl action you're looking for and if college football is more your speed they've got plenty of that too check me out on their uh monkey knife fight college football show we'll be dropping that Friday, get you ready for bowl season. On Monkey Night Fight, there's no sharks, no salary caps, and no math. It's just easy to play, easy to win, daily fantasy player props. Join now at monkeyknifefight.com and you'll get your first game free. Then use promo code RWNFL. That's promo code RWNFL to get your first deposit match instantly up to $100. So what are you waiting for? Join Monkey Knife Fight today. All right, speaking of, of the Cowboys, we got... What it, these next two games, I think, are the most interesting uh, on the slate for Sunday. We got the Jags going up against the Cowboys, and then we'll, we'll get we'll hit uh, Lions Jets. But all right, so we're looking at the Cowboys four four and a half point favorites. I, I think the public is going to be um, a little bit feeling stinky about the the Cowboys after what they did against the Texans last week, and and you know the Jaguars. Uh, they're very inconsistent, but when they when they look good, they look very good. So your thoughts there? Yeah, I was worried about the Jaguars rushing uh, Trevor back to play through that toe injury last week, but uh, knock on wood, it seems like he's fine. So that's uh, that was my one concern. I didn't want him 
getting hurt uh, in some long-term way. Trevor, again, is still a young quarterback. He still doesn't have that much help on offense. I think there's going to still be ups and downs with him. But, man, two games in the past three weeks now, it's like you watch him and it's like it's becoming increasingly difficult to imagine Lawrence failing, you know? Like it's – you watch him – and even if even if you remember, even if you only saw his bad games previously, it's like if you watch him uh, this last game and the one uh, two weeks ago, you you start to. I, th- I think it's like the reality is just inescapable. Like it hits you. Like even if you were a Trevor skeptic, even if you wanted to see him fail, it's like you watch him in those two games and you you kind of just understand uh, whether you want to or not. You get it. It's like oh, he's different. This doesn't usually happen. This this isn't something that's going to happen anytime soon again afterward. And if Lawrence continues to be the the player that he uh, may have already become and is certainly going to be at some point, then any team can be beaten by him. And Dallas is, is in that group. Uh, however, I still worry that this is a matchup where uh, the Dallas defense, which was definitely hiding its cards last week, and, and probably for this specific game, uh, they were saving some of those tricks. Uh, they're going to unleash all of them here. And Trevor Lawrence's offensive line is not very good. He's he's really good managing pass rush, so he, he kind of evades pressure almost like preemptively in ways that would show up as registered pressures with other quarterbacks. He could really have – he could have that, like, margin that – that's normally that margin of safety. That's normally dictated by his abilities. He could have that margin wiped out by the Dallas pass rush, just having so much more than even other good pass rushes do. So I, I worry about that a little bit. And I certainly worry about it. Marvin Jones, Zay Jones blowing it at receiver. Uh, I wonder like what happens if Evan Ingram doesn't get a lot of yardage after the catch on a drag route this week, like he did last week, you know, stuff like that. They still keep using Engram the wrong way. Eventually, Marvin Jones is going to have a dud game. I, this is a fine setting for that. Zay Jones, even even when Zay Jones is putting up these numbers lately, he still drops passes that like are amazing Trevor throws and stuff. And it's just he's he's just not good. Or at least as a wide receiver two, he is not good. He would be good enough as a wide receiver three, but it's like Trevor Trevor's getting all these guys to play above their heads. And it's like, what if they don't? What what if they mm-hmm. start playing like they are? And against good defenses is where you see overachieving offensive players tend to fall back down to earth. It tends to show you for what you really are. And if Zay Jones shows what he really is, if Marvin Jones shows what he is, that's already making it difficult to budget the Trevor kind of games like he's had in two of the last three weeks. Christian Kirk having a big game here makes a lot of sense. I feel like Evan Ingram should have a way to make a big play here. I don't know if I trust Doug Peterson to dial it up. Uh, but all I'm really convincing myself of is, is like Christian Kirk produces and I don't know who else. So uh, maybe, maybe Trevor's so good. Maybe he's turned such a corner that he can just make the Zay Jones, whatever the example is, maybe he can just make them play really well or produce really well. I should say, I just, I can't, I can't take that leap of faith against this defense. I mean, I'm just going to, uh, Fair enough. For worse. like I said, if Trevor's playing the way he has, it's just like, he, you can't we can't do anything about that Jedi stuff. It's just there's nothing you can do. He is he is the chosen one. 
it's it's becoming more and more apparent. Uh, the guy. Man, I really ridiculous. wish there could be a receipt kind of thing on this one because like it was he's, all these all these pointy headed analysts being like the data is quite concerning about Trevor Lawrence. Like watch the game one time. If you hate the game so much that you can't watch it, then just try to antagonize the labor of some other sport industry. Like yeah, get leave, out. leave us get alone. Get out of here. You hate this game. Stop watching it. Or Screw rather, it. start watching it or stop talking about it. Please, it's 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 not it's not that big of a request, but my God, we need it. Um, Lindsay wants to know: McKinnon or Zonovan Bam Knight and Metcalf or Keenan Allen? So I think my my inkling on the second one would would be Metcalf, but I think in this particular setup, I'm worried about the Seahawks passing game this evening. So I probably defer to Allen as far as McKinnon versus Knight. I'm going Zonovan Knight, I think. Yeah, that one's tough for me. Uh, I don't think Zonovan Knight is very good. And I I think uh, the Jets, uh, LaFleur is is a fool for playing him as a starter over Michael Carter. That that won't last, but it might last this game because the Lions defense better or not lately. It's, it's still not good. And, Zonovan Knight to me is, you know, replacement level player, replacement level players at running back can produce if they're given volume against bad defenses. So um, with that said, I I would probably go McKinnon just because I don't know, like if Ronald Jones doesn't play 20 snaps in this game, then I feel like Pacheco is capped at like 35 or something like that. And if, if McKinnon's playing 25 snaps, in a game where the Chiefs are scoring 45 or 40 points or something like that, then I, I think he can do something. Uh, and, and McKinnon, too, has the benefit of being the guy that the defense will never care about. And I mean, like he, even this big game that he had against the Broncos, and I'm sure like box score people are just like, oh, he's a good running back. I knew it. Like, the, the defense literally just did not cover him. Like they, the, they uh, have to be optimized. Oh, sorry. It's like that's, that's what and defenses have to make that choice. They It's not like. They don't understand the consequences. It's just like, well, we can't cover everyone. He's the one we're not covering. Simple as that. And it's like he, now he gets that benefit against the worst run defense. Yeah, he does. The The optimizer loved him last week, and I was like, no way, no way, exclude. And The uh, optimizer was kind of wrong, you know. It's like that, that setup from the defense, the yards after the catch per catch that McKinnon produced, like there was, that was well out of his range of outcomes of any projected range of outcomes, I should say. So, yeah, I, I don't think the, the thing is this week, I don't think he needs that uh, complete anomaly of a setup. It's just like, like, Sharkandrick West could run for 150 yards at running back in this There's offense. There's a name. Against the Texas. Yeah, and then as much as I bash McKinnon, it's like, yeah, he's better than Sharkandrick West. Uh, I was thinking, who was the, the coastal running back? That That's who I'm confusing him with, right? The one that was on the Ravens like five years ago. Co- uh, or, or Towson. Maybe he's from Towson. Are you thinking uh, of Talia Farrow? Tal- are you thinking Lorenzo of Terrence Tal- West? Towson I'm was thinking Terrence of Terrence West. Yeah, and uh, Lorenzo Talia Farrow. My God. Rest in peace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah wow. There's some names. Um, another quick one here before we move uh, on over. Uh, Goff or Geno Smith? Well, why don't we use that as a segue into... Jets versus Lions. We already talked about Gino. Are some some concerns for for him this evening, of course. But I'm concerned about the Lions maybe coming back to earth here. Some books have the Lions favored by one. 
Others have the Jets favored by one. So that that's kind of interesting how this I'm market sorry, is, is Mike shaping White, up. Mike White, I know that they had a they they took him after the game to see if he was uh, mortally wounded, and it turned out he wasn't. Uh, that's good. Uh, he's playing, right? I don't understand how. So I think Robert Sala said on Wednesday that he was expecting him to play, and he he was limited uh, on Wednesday, which you know I I think gets him trending in the right direction. The fact that this is a Sunday game as opposed to having to play on Saturday, I think that certainly uh, helps his case. Um, but so let, just let's just let's talk Lions. about this game under the content or under the assumption that Mike White's out there. Yeah, I don't get the the Lions hype. Is this just a necessary corollary of uh, the Jared Goff is good narrative that's getting peddled? Is like people have to say like, oh yeah, the the Lions are good. They have a good quarterback. Uh, the Lions are selectively competitive at home, or maybe in other dome settings if we're being generous, but more so at home uh, when they're facing a less than good defense. That's it, and it's. Very simple that this is the case. I don't understand why everything has to be so stupid all the time. Jared Goff sucks. We know that. When he's produced at home, and the only times he's produced at home, it's for structural reasons like the offensive line, which is top five in the league. It's playing indoors where his lack of driving, throwing strength doesn't matter as much because there's no wind and the air is you know easily cut through. And he apparently has like some psychological benefit of playing at home. like His nerves don't get the better of him the way they do in other settings. Road Goff is still Road Goff, and I, particularly with so many recent examples this year, I don't understand why why this wouldn't be like the first thing you think of when t- talking Lions on the road, Lions in New York, Lions on Lions in New York in December. That sounds bad for Goff, doesn't it? And it's like you you just look at the recent analysis of some types of people, and it's just like nope, uh, Goff's just good. It's looking pretty good for the Lions. No, Lions lose. Well, Goff. Uh, on the road this year in five games has two touchdown passes and four interceptions. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen against the Jets defense on the road That's in what the middle I'm thinking. of December. That's what yeah, I'm here, thinking. If the Lions win, it's because they threw it fewer than 25 times. They need defensive touchdown. They need turnovers on defense. Things that can happen, but I don't think anyone's picturing. I think you got people looking at stupid metrics that aren't real going, Jared Goff's playing well this year. Jared, hey, Jared Goff's better than Matt Stafford. Did you hear this? Like, really? Like, yeah, look at this sheet. It says it. And they also had a fake metric. Real. They had a fake metric about the offensive line actually being bad. Oh, that was a fun that's one. A good, that's a good one. Yes, uh, yes. The, it's good that these people are allowed to speak freely. Yeah. And and have, like, very large audiences for, for whatever reason. Um but yeah, I'm I'm all over the Jets here. Uh, if I can get them at a book at, at plus one, even better. But I'm comfortable taking them minus one. Uh, do like the Jets in this spot. Um, I think that we're starting to see the the you know the the theory of the Lions maybe start to to work out a little bit here. I don't. I still I'm with you. I don't think that golf is necessarily the, the long term answer. He's terrible, Not, man. Oh, dude, some of these some of these metrics that people are <laughs> citing are from that game. Like, did anyone see the Jamison Williams touchdown? It was, yeah. it looked like it was thrown by a backup tight end. Like it was awful it, throw. It was in and, the air the, for the a long time. Boys are going, oh, Jared Goff's getting better. Like, you're and the, there was no, like there was no one around him. Like, I mean, Jamison Williams can, can create that, like to it be was fair, a busted but coverage, it was. And he was late to throw it and he underthrew it. And Jamison Williams had to wait for it to catch it. That was a terrible throw by Goff, and those people are saying that it was a good play, and they like literally 
reassessed his value and raised. They said like, actually, he's a quarterback nine now. It's 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 unbelievable. And it, and the and the the best part of all of it, John, is that even when Jared Goff goes eleven of twenty four for like one hundred and twelve yards and three interceptions against the Jets, they'll say they were right. They will, and uh, I look forward look forward to that. Um, so yes, give me the Jets. Give me the Jets all day. Um, all right, let's whip through these next few games here. We got Falcons Saints. Uh, expectations on Desmond Ritter? Oh, man. It, it it would seemingly be that it can't get worse than Mariota, but the Falcons roster does suck. It wouldn't be a team that you say seems good for a quarterback. You know, if you, without knowing who the quarterback was, you would project problematic numbers for them. So that's one layer of concern that I have. The second layer is I don't know how good I should think Ritter is. Like I'm open to a lot of possibilities. I, I, I think he's difficult to pin down is all I'm saying. He's got certain things that we know are good for sure. Like he's definitely got a good head on his shoulders. Uh, speaks well to his like football temperament and character that he was a four year starter at Cincinnati and, you know, took them to uh pretty high competitive places. I, I know they didn't win anything big and like Alabama wrecked them, but it's like, it's, that it's wasn't not his normal. Fault. Yeah. It's not normal for a Cincinnati type program to get into that setting in the first place. Like it usually requires uh, a pretty rare quarterback, a, a rare collegiate quarterback, which Ritter was even, even if he doesn't turn out to be a good NFL quarterback, he was an uncommonly good college quarterback and he didn't have much help at Cincinnati. Like he had problematic production. Yes. And in that production, if you look at the tape, you could probably see plays that he's, you know, showing various concerning things, but those concerns, if, if, if they hadn't been there in the presence of a better supporting cast, then those are, those are concerns that can be managed. I think like if he had everything set up, you know, easy teed up and he still was making these mistakes, that's when I worry. So like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think Ritter will ever be like an above average passer, but he if he's given some structural assistance, if he's given something, especially like what Jared Goff has with the lions, I would not want to bet against Ritter in that case. In the meantime, though, it's like, we have something far from that case. It's the Falcons, no Kyle Pitts, Drake London's the best pass catcher. And he just turned 21, like three months ago. It's, it's tough for a guy like Ritter. It'd, it'd be tough for any quarterback in these situations. So um, I worry for him. He's definitely got the same kind of like wheels as Mariota, you know, the four, five, two, 40, like he can run. Uh, he, I think he'll be rather poised, even if he's under a lot of pressure. But I just I think there could be some ugly, you know, the same ugly passing game we've seen already, basically. Yeah. And I worry about like even though the, the Saints obviously have been bad this year, that's still a tough place to have your first NFL oh, yeah. start. And, and that even though both teams are bad, I think that a divisional game like this, there's there's some added juice here. So like I'm I'm concerned about Ritter in this spot. Um, I'm excited to see, you know, how he does over these next few weeks, whether Atlanta can figure out, like, is there enough here to where we can go into next year with maybe just like a veteran free agent as the backup and and see uh, if Ritter can do this or not. But um, I don't think that this is going to be a, a sparkling uh, debut from him. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, let's see here. Um but you, you know, you, we talked about Alvin Kamara versus Aaron Jones uh, a few minutes ago. Why the Kamara optimism? Uh, not really 
so much optimism. Like part of that and that particular question too is like I don't trust the Green Bay offense that much Fair. either. But I just think it's unlikely that Kamara's undergone too much physical decline, or at least like the physical decline that would explain the degree to which his numbers have been disappointing. So I think his numbers have disappointed mostly for structural circumstantial reasons. And therefore I don't think it's just going to necessarily improve for variance reasons, but I also have to think he's gotten kind of like the worst end of the variance uh, consideration. So uh, in a game where that I expect the saints to win and it being at home and against a defense like Atlanta's, in that case, I can at least be optimistic for Kamara just because the structural details seem to be uh, in his favor for the first time in you know a couple months or whatever. Let's get a good Alan Kamara pass-catching game. That's not too much to ask. I feel like we could get that uh, here on, on Sunday. Maybe a six-touchdown game, John, to, to make the average fantasy points per game uh, register in the top five or something. Well, we're getting close to Christmas. He did that on Christmas a couple years ago. I think I was wearing this shirt when he did that. So keep that shirt on, John. Don't take it off till Monday. <sighs> All right, fine. Um, here we go again. Just wait, wearing this shirt for weeks on end. Um, all right, let's go Broncos, Cardinals. Uh, man, what the hell can you say about this one? Um, yeah, both teams are just wrecks. And, uh, I don't know, man, I, uh, Steve Kime leaving the team for health really related reasons is very strange. It's like, is this what happens when the owner wants to fire you, but he's also your drinking buddy. So he, he comes up with, uh, why don't you say, uh, you're, you're homesick and we'll just, you know, leave you on payroll until next year or something. I don't know what, I don't know what. Like, the guy was there all along, and it's like, what, you're telling me, like, right when Kyler Murray gets hurt and right when the team that he built goes into just, like, complete wreckage state, he all of a sudden, I, I hope he has no, you know, mounting or otherwise pressing health issues. I, I, I don't I don't mean to call uh, Faker on a guy who's, like, in the ER or whatever, but if, if this is, the timing is suspicious, and we knew it was a politically tense situation because of a lot of things about that team and it's like all the bad things are happening, but they're still not doing the change that would normally happen by now. It's like, there's, there's it's like a standoff kind of feeling to me. And this is all before factoring Kyler Murray being out and so many other stupid things about that team being true as they are. So I'd be surprised if, if the Broncos could blow this one, I guess I shouldn't be though if they do, like, I, I guess that's, that's pretty stupid of me to, to, to ever be surprised for the Broncos to lose a game, but I would be surprised. I, I think it'll be, a, it's not often that you see two teams with as much dysfunction, discord drama as these two, and especially like this point in the year being just broken down and battered as they are. So either side could just fail to show up and sleepwalk to a ridiculous loss. But I guess I would just sooner expect that to be the Cardinals just because they they have to be like just completely fried right now. I uh, I I got some lingering dumb football football guy brain. Yeah. I think Colt McCoy can lead him in there and 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 beat oh, the Broncos. Well, yeah, that's that's the other that's a good point. I mean, Colt McCoy 
is uh, arguably like a more stabilizing kind of like coach presence than either of the actual head coaches in this game. Yeah. Uh, like we'll just, we'll just call Colt McCoy the interim uh, coach right now. He's a player uh, coach. He's like Bill Russell. Yeah. I mean, he, and it's true though. And you're, you're like, it's, it's easy to imagine this actually being the case. Like imagine like the Cardinals practices and he's like, Cliff Kingsbury's in the the film room and he's kind of like the substitute teacher. And when he, when he breaks and he leaves, the quarterbacks all just look to Colt McCoy and, you know, for, for whatever they actually think, it's possible. It's, it's easy enough to imagine, at least in the hard knocks a little bit that I've watched, it seems like Cliff Kingsbury kind of doesn't get listened to as much as maybe some other coaches. I saw a little bit of that last night myself, actually. Um, That was the first time I'd watched it. Yeah, sorry, not necessarily that they dislike him or something, but they, they really treat him like he's a substitute teacher or something. Uh, I don't know what you would – Nate Hackett is like all the substitute teachers are on strike and they had to bring in like a birthday clown who uh, – like he, he washed all the makeup off of his face, but he's he's still – he forgot to take off uh, the, the bike horn from his shirt. So he – He's the English teacher or like the substitute English teacher who, you know, like has to take over while while the regular teacher's away. And uh, it's very clear to the students because they read the spark notes that he is only he is just reading off the spark notes as well. And uh, so there, there's like a mutual like, I, I what don't know am- what you're doing here. You're full, you're full of it, just like I am. The part that I'm having trouble fitting in is uh, the, 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 the substitute t- teacher equivalent of being a uh, breakdancing coach's son in the nineties, uh, <laughs> which uh, Nate Hackett, apparently when he's, when he's not yelling, I love gold. He's, he's like breakdancing. And uh, oh, God, do, he, he just needs to be on the chive. Like, he, he is like the chive embodied. He, he may, he might've, he might've been like a piece of the chive uh, transplanted to a different piece of soil and, you know, look back and there's just a, a, a bald guy sitting there in the soil one day, um, <laughs> break dancing. But yeah, he's, he's so like, I'm, I'm talking about all these things that make Cliff Kingsbury like a weak head coach. I, I can't say that it's any worse than any, uh, any access with, you know, Hackett either. Like they, there is no chance anybody on that team respects him. And it's, it's almost like if, if, if it were for like Russell Wilson being the, the lightning rod of everyone's hatred, they might have mm. the players might have turned and been like, "Wait, who is this guy anyway? Like, why are we listening to him?" But instead, they just they just like hear they hear like a like a a, a a haze like it's it's not even in like their main line of consciousness. Like they it's like they hear a voice somewhere that they aren't saying like, "Got to do drills, guys." But all they're really thinking is like, "I want to choke Russell Wilson." And if, as soon as Russell Wilson's like not there to be choked, they're gonna turn around and be like, "What's that noise that I've been hearing all this time?" It's like, "Wait, that guy? Him?" Uh, it's yeah, just so the I, uh, jazz flute scene from Anchorman. Oh yeah, he would. That, that's when they were. There's definitely been a point where some Broncos player was using a stall, and Nate Hackett put his head under the door with the, playing the flute to their horror. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think uh, the Broncos defense is is the constant to me in this game. Like Ajiro Aviro is doing a really great job. I always I'll probably say his name backwards. I'll probably switch it up intentionally to Hedge. I uh, don't know which is his first and which is his last, but he's a good defensive coordinator. He's really, really good. The Broncos should have made him the head coach months ago. Uh, that guy is is doing a great job every single week, and uh, that Denver defense will show up. It's it's the rest of the team that might not show up. 
but yeah, you're right. It's it's basically like Colt McCoy versus Ajiro Aviro. Uh, never never seen a matchup quite like this. Yeah, it's it's funky. It's it's something that I, I will definitely be keeping my eye on on Sunday afternoon. That we don't have an amazing uh, Sunday afternoon. I want to so. see this game. Yeah, there's some there's some sicko it. appeal uh, to to this one. Dude, a couple uh, of the Broncos games earlier this year were some of the most entertaining games I've ever seen because you will never see a team so many times in one game have this like this is it this is the last shot feeling and then they blow it and then they get another shot and keep blowing it and blowing it like Hackett is an artist in that regard. Yeah, even the even that Texans game early on is like oh my god what is what is this. Um, Let's see here. Uh, one more uh, qu- or two more questions here quickly, and we'll rip through the rest. Um, so setting his lineups here needs two receivers and a flex. Uh, so basically pick three of these or Zonovan. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Hollywood Brown, Christian Kirk, Brandon Ayuk, or Zonovan Knight. Uh, I think I'm the last three. Yeah, I was definitely going to say like lock in Kirk and Ayuk. I think the... I'm eliminating DPJ right off the bat. Hollywood, a little bit concerned, but I mean, he was getting targets and targets downfield a bit last week. He just didn't convert on them. Um, so, yeah, I, give, just, give I me, definitely give have the last three. Yeah, I definitely have Kirk and I. You could head up Hollywood, but yeah, Hollywood versus Knight is tough for me. Definitely. Um, then one more uh, Evan Ingram or Gerald Everett. Uh, who did the Chargers got again? The, oh, char- the, the Chargers have the Titans. Oof. Um, I think I'd go with Engram, but I'm basically just guessing. I, I have no idea how to call that one. Yeah, it's close. It's close. Let, let's unpack that game. Uh, so we got the Chargers at home, two and a half point favorites against the Titans. I think this is a great spot to buy in, buy back in on the Titans. Like that, a couple of bad games in a row. This is where this is like what they needed, like going into oh, yeah. this stage of the season. They couldn't have ridden that hot streak that they got on in October all the way through the season. They needed to have another lull so people could start doubting them again for this to start working. And they love playing <laughs> on the road. That and I I really wish we could hear the things that Mike Vrabel says about Staley. Mm-hmm. Uh I cannot imagine how obscene and vulgar and let's be realistic, probably like homophobic and stuff. <laughs> probably, probably a lot of problematic language in there from Vrabel, but I can guarantee you he's saying all of it about Staley's. He's talking about what a, he's calling. He's probably calling him soy boy specifically. And uh, it's, it, it is a setting where I, I think that the stereotype of the, uh, meathead jock pummeling the loser nerd is basically I'm, going to come forth. Uh, I'm picturing like a caricature level detail. Like before the game, you know, when, when the coaches like, you know, meet up at, at midfield and like dap each other up, like Vrabel's going to like snap at his, at Staley's groin and, and uh, Staley's going to flinch. And then like Vrabel's going to pat him on the head twice. Uh, I don't know. That was a big thing in my high school, just getting people to flinch. Vrabel um, and that puncher. Um, yeah. So, so something like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how, how Rabel handles, uh, his, his subjects face to face other than urban Meyer, who they apparently are just like on fist fighting terms on uh, site, but yeah, Rabel, Rabel definitely is a guy who like talks, uh, 
that about people and, and like he, he's the kind of person who when he's in front of a microphone never says anything he's rarely says anything to the effect of what he would with the microphone away from it so uh the thing is too he's right in this case to be to like not respect staley and say like oh you weakling we're gonna run all over you staley could call the defense a little differently than he does and part of why they're so bad against the run is that they do that off coverage philosophy of like having the corners sit back seven yards to try to spam the intermediate and you need everybody taking up gaps trying trying to hold ground once Derrick Henry gets the ball because if you give him the space to reach any sort of you know significant speed the the play can be over just very quickly like you need you need to keep him from moving forward and keep him from developing that momentum because if he gets it, it, it just doesn't matter how good of a tackler you are. Um, this this is a setting where Staley needs to run the defense basically the opposite of how he ever has. And if he does, he has a shot. But otherwise, if if he if he, if he calls the same defense that he did against the Dolphins, like Derrick Henry's going for two hundred, it's not a question. No, uh, yeah, I think the Titans' run game definitely gets back on on track here. And you know, I, I felt like the the Chargers got like a, a little bit too much defensive credit uh, for for last week's game against Miami. I felt like that was a little bit maybe more on Miami and and the Titans just they're built to destroy a defense like the Chargers. Yeah, again, I think if the Chargers try to sell out against the run, they would have a shot. But I don't know if Staley has it in them to do that. I know they called a good game plan against the 49ers to keep McCaffrey contained. It's just that even McCaffrey doesn't get utilized a hammer the way Henry is. It's like McCaffrey's got a sort of finesse kind of, like he runs hard, but he's got like a sort of finesse application. Whereas to stop Henry, you have to play a lot of like one-on-one, you know, physical football and you have to be good at it and certainly disciplined. And it's like that alone, just, just the power run game approach of the Titans. So the way that the, the chargers normally prepare, it might be kind of like when a, you know, otherwise, uh, esteemed ACC team had to deal with the Paul Johnson, Georgia tech team that year. Like, like, Oh, you know how you guys, we've, we've been practicing for uh, Clemson's offense basically all year this week. We got to switch it up and deal with a bunch of triple option crap. And it's like you, that one week you can be horrible at it. Even if it's the second week you do don't give up any points. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that kind of novel, like Vrabel's approach entirely might be so novel for someone like Staley that Staley's just like illiterate on it. Yeah, he's like, what 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 on what kind of witchcraft is this? Um, so yeah, get give me uh give me the Titans here. Um Chigo Conquo. Is he on your radar or just DFS? Uh he's pretty interesting. I, I, I wish I had a better sense of what the Titans think they're doing at tight end exactly, because I feel like they've also underutilized Hooper. If anything, yeah. I feel like Okonkwo should be playing actual wide receiver. And they've they've used him. Um, they probably have used him on more downfield routes than anybody this year, even as even as this like fullback tight end. Like he he had that month in a row where he had like a 30, 40 yard catch in every game, but he would only get like three targets in each game. And then this mm-hmm. most recent game was the first one where they, they said, like, what if we up his target volume? Um, I would have liked to see them up his target volume without taking it away from Hooper. But um, if they just it, the other way they can make this work best is to just stop playing Hooper. Like if, if you give. Okonkwo, all of those routes, you're going to get more than if you did uh, trying to cut in Hooper. But the way you get less than either of those scenarios is if you're uh, you're kind of having the two cannibalize each other's usage, you know. And um, I worry about that a little bit 
But uh, man, they they really should just get a Conquo on those AJ Brown routes. You know, he he kind of looks a little bit like AJ Brown. I mean, he a Conquo ran a four five two forty to Traylon Burks's four five five, and he's like fifteen pounds heavier, thirteen pounds heavier than Burks. Like Okonkwo was the AJ Brown imitation that they wanted all along, which is to say like a 230 pounder who runs a low four five. I'm a big fan of his. He went to Maryland, love Maryland football, even though they're terrible. Um, so I'm pulling, I'm pulling for the boy. Hope he does well and uh, feel good about his chances this week and moving forward. The, the uh, advanced stats, Mario, to your point are pretty impressive on, on him. The average yards after catch really good. Uh, yards per out run insane like pretty much it's it's all high green on his uh player profile over yeah, on a wire at maryland it seemed like he was doomed to kind of be like an underneath uh check down kind of pass catcher or whatever but uh so and he has done plenty of that with the titans but uh he's he's taken downfield shots too and if you're threatening at that level with him i don't know why you wouldn't be able to threaten at every level and have each of those threats play off of each other. And if you're playing off of the Derrick Henry play action, especially, I, they 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 really I think have a, a an avenue and like an incentive to make Okonkwo become their leading pass catcher anytime Burks is not playing, and maybe even while he is. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm I'm officially in. You got me all riled up now. All right, we got four we got four games left. Patriots Raiders in Vegas. Uh, another game with, with split. Uh, spreads some books have the Patriots favored by a point others have the Raiders favored by a point um you know obviously Patriots defense very opportunistic this past week and and uh you know the their ability to get to the quarterback is scary um but their offense is a joke so this one's tricky to figure out yeah uh Patriots are just such a weird team in general this year because they have that can't count them out kind of thing because of the Belichick effect mostly and the, the Belichick weekly threat to come up with just like a really good game plan that, that blindsides the other team. Belichick can keep doing that, but you can only, you know, polish a turd so much. The, there's, there's only so much you can do to hide an offense as bad. And with as many ex- good excuses as the Patriots offense has too. I mean, if they don't have Stevenson, uh, I know that's a situation they got themselves into, but it's it's still difficult to manage once they're in it. Uh, they they just they, their receiver personnel, their usage for their pass catchers has been incoherent all for for years. Actually, I should say um, there there is a lot that they, they can have go wrong with their offense, and I, I don't mean to skip any of those scenarios. But man, the Raiders they're so bad, and and McDaniel's is just completely overexposed as a head coach. So I'd be surprised even with all the issues that the Patriots have if, if they got beat in this one. But it is it is kind of funny to remember. I'm pretty sure Patricia went like 2-0 and against Belichick as a head coach with the Lions. Yeah, it, it used to be a, this really big narrative. Like I, I did some research on this actually uh, going into uh, my, my article, my picks article earlier this week. And I also said that like nothing bores me quite quite as much as like a oh Belichick versus one of his former pupils. But leading up to 2018, he was like 10 and two or something, and now he's like 14 and 12 overall against them. So th- those those numbers might not be fully correct, but like the the point stands. Like he he doesn't own them the way that he could, uh, you know, really take Eric Mangini to the woodshed. 
Yeah, maybe maybe those were all plants uh, back before the league had like better um, counterintelligence or whatever. Uh, I I think in any case though that the main story here, regardless of all the stuff going on with the Patriots, is that just the Raiders are one of the worst teams in the league and are very much a dysfunctional team uh, in a way that can kind of undermine the talent that they do have. Uh, of course, Devontae Adams seems unstoppable, but he's been unstoppable most weeks and they've still embarrassed yeah. themselves most weeks. So uh, I, I can't I can't really see the Patriots just smirching themselves to that extent it doesn't make a ton of sense but like i'm i'm just that i'm just enough lower on on the patriots to where i'll, I'll give it to the raiders at home but i i will say I, if I'm, jacobs if jacobs keeps producing like he has the patriots lose they do need to do something about him yeah he's he's a stallion this year uh let's hit Bengals bucks we got Bengals minus three and a half on the road against Against touchdown Tom Mario. Uh touchdown Tom. Uh that's an ironic name at this point. We love to see it. Mm. Uh let's see. The the Bengals I do worry the slightest bit about like Todd Bowles, I, I think it's safe to say, is is in and over his head as a head coach. He still is a good defensive coach. He, he's he's capable of like I don't want to say lapses in judgment, but like he can get blindsided by a game plan. He he's at least though the kind of coach who adjusts and fixes it the second time around. But uh, sorry, which is to say, I can imagine him more or less matching Zach Taylor, even this improved Zach Taylor of late. So I I don't see it as an easy game for the Bengals offense or or defense really. Although if Tom Brady keeps producing the way he has, then it could be an easy game for the Bengals defense too. And at, at that point you definitely like them to, to kind of roll. Cause even if the, even if the Tampa defense kind of stalls the Cincinnati offense, uh, as long as the defense does, as long as the Cincinnati defense does better than hold serve, I, I still think he dysfunction or not. Occasionally the, the Bengals offense is a lot more reliable than the Tampa Bay one. And uh, it's, it's happened enough times this year. I think it's, it's safe to say that the Tampa Bay issues on offense are, are due to uh, the players. Like it's not just injuries. It's not just uh, some bad luck here or there. Maybe they've had both of those. I still think that we've had too many settings where, where there's just no excuses for, for Tom Brady to fail, uh, to fail to get certain pass catchers going more specifically. And a game like last week would be a good enough example right there. Like Mike Evans going against no Marshall and Lattimore on the saints. And he's got four targets. That's Tom Brady being unable to make throws that Tom Brady wants to make. And if he can't make the throws, if he can't through whatever witchcraft make possible physically, these things that he can imagine, then it's just over. It's just done. There's nothing to do at that point. The story is over. So I think that's probably where we're at. And the Bengals, I will say, they they still have to be careful that defense can still cause turnovers. And the, even when they're good, the Broncos, sorry, the, the Bengals are a turnover-prone offense that usually doesn't matter because they make up explosiveness to to cover it and then some. But they have to be careful on the road, especially against a defense that that has some pretty good personnel. Yeah, they definitely got to be careful. I'm just I'm so bought in on the Bengals at this point. I'm so out on the Buccaneers. Like I, I'm so I, out on the Buccaneers. Yeah, more so. yeah. So so 
didn't mean to imply that you weren't. I, I think that, you know, you, you brought some kind of like sober analysis to to the whole thing because there, there's definite like instinct to, to overreact to a team crumbling in real time and be like, oh, it's totally over. Maybe they're not that terrible, but uh, 45, <laughs> man, you know, it's 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 usually you are right to say it's over when this is happening six years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's finally here that there, there are no immortal humans. There will never be an immortal human. Tom Brady has, has been subject to, you know, gravity finally. About time. Oh God. Um, let's see here. All right. Two night games, uh, commanders, giants, interesting little scheduling wrinkle because yeah. th- these two teams tied two weeks ago. The giants played last week and got smoked. Washington was just chilling. They're on a bye. Yeah, uh, Washington should be fine here. The the Giants just don't have, you know, they don't have the the bullets that they need on offense or defense. Uh, particularly when Adoree Jackson got hurt, the Giants were fielding like a week four preseason cornerback rotation. So, uh, if you're if you're the Giants, you have to put substantial like safety allocation toward Terry McLaurin, and so you have to kind of leave the run vulnerable. And I think Brian Robinson's pretty clearly like a backup type, but uh, against a bad run defense, that's moreover, not particularly trying to defend the run. Like, yeah, he can produce here. So uh, Washington defense playing better, Giants offense playing worse, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think, yeah, these are just two teams that are kind of heading in different directions right now. And I think the Giants, it was a correction. I don't know if if uh, Washington is maybe playing a little bit above where they should be, but you know where I stand on on, yeah. on Taylor Heineke. I'm just a guy. I'm just a fan. So wish them luck. Yeah, it's uh, they're 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 going to be a wild card team that uh, maybe takes it to the fourth quarter in their wild card game. Good for them. Yeah, that that feels like uh, the kind of career arc that that he will have. Certainly did that a couple years ago against the Bucks. Um, and then we got Rams Packers to, to close it out. Ugh, stinky. Um, so a, w- a week ago, we were laughing at the idea that Baker Mayfield would, would play snaps uh, against yeah. the Raiders. It was pretty ugly. Actually, that's, that's the thing that I meant to bring up with uh, the Patriots Raiders is they lost to a guy who like couldn't play quarterback. Um, I know Mayfield made the Van Jefferson throw and he, get, he gets credit for that. Yeah, it's just that scenario shouldn't have happened. Like they shouldn't have had the ball then. The the Raiders being impossibly incompetent is the only reason that Mayfield got the pass attempt volume to get past uh, the first like twenty or so passes that he threw, which were really bad. I mean, he was they they tried that play action uh, corner route from the tight end a couple times, and it didn't go either time. Like the Raiders were sitting on it, you could see. Uh, and then the rest of the game was pretty much just both offenses just stumbling around going nowhere uh mayfield was throwing not that i'm trying to criticize him for this like this is to say why it's basically impossible to play quarterback with one day of practice uh he was putting all these throws like into the dirt off rhythm uh it was ugly until the the raiders gave them you know 10th 11th 12th chances in the game and then finally it was like hey we got one-on-one fade route don't need to practice to do that you can do that you know, you can do that on the playground. No, no problem. So that one play is what the ca- the game came down to. And all the other more, you know, more pertinent plays aside from that one didn't matter in the box score. Whereas 
almost any other game, even almost any other game against a team as stupid and bad as the Raiders, that whole scenario never happens at all. So I think the Packers kind of just choke them out over the course of an ugly, otherwise hard fought game here. But uh, yeah, I don't think that the Rams are throwing for 150 yards here and uh, whether they cover, whether they cover comes down to whether acres can get two touchdowns again. I like them to cover. Uh, and that is more that's more me saying I don't trust the Packers with with more than a touchdown oh, yeah. right now. Packers offense uh, we have reason to believe is still not very good. Yeah, and the fact that they, you know, torched the Bears before the bye that that means little to nothing to me cuz they they always do that to the don't Bears anyway and the the Bears defense is particularly bad this year so like I don't think that that really signals anything so yeah, I'll take the Rams to cover this. Um but yeah, f- fantasy wise or or watchability wise, Monday night. Uh, I guess last question here. You know, how do you see the the Green Bay backfield performing? How are they going to divvy up the work and and so on? Um, I don't know. I I I always defended the AJ Dillon selection in the second round because I thought the Packers were committing to a vision where they would use both him and Aaron Jones, and I, I defended it. re-signing Aaron Jones. Still do, uh, but to me. The, the way that the Packers have run their offense the past two, three years, they only needed Aaron Jones. And f- for this approach, uh, actually for any offense, Aaron Jones is better. Aaron Jones is really, really good. AJ Dillon could be quite good himself and still just not particularly close to the threat from scrimmage that Aaron Jones is. Very few running backs are the kind of threat from scrimmage that Aaron Jones is. So if there's four, if there's uh if there's between the two of them, 20 carries and eight catches to be had, then I just quite simply give Aaron Jones as much of that as I think he can handle. And mm-hmm. so uh, the Packers, they, they have a little pressure to get Dylan more involved in that. It, you know, Gutekunst doesn't want people saying like, Hey, didn't you spend a second rounder on that guy who isn't playing? So th- they th- there's always gonna be pressure to keep him involved. But even as somebody who thinks Dylan is good, I don't see what merit he has taking like a single rep from Jones that Jones himself could handle. So uh, I'm not getting my hopes up for Dylan, even if he might be a bit of a pain for Jones investors in the meantime. No, sure. I think I think that's a good way of of kind of summing it up. Yeah, J- Jones is more talented guy. Dylan certainly uh, pretty useful as well. Wish they could kind of you know get their get that rotation figured out a little bit more smoothly. The they needed they need to be running like 35 times a game to make the two of them get a fair shot because like Dylan needs the volume too. Like he he's not going to be as good in zero through ten as and 15 through 20, but they don't let him get the 15 through 20. Yeah, so he's he's got to tenderize. And, yes. and you know, the, the Packers, they had the personnel to, like, as far as their pass catchers go to where, like, you they would have been completely justified to go that run heavy. And they just... Oh, yeah. <sighs> SMH. Um, just... Got to do, do the Chip Kelly approach. It's like you get more reps for your running back depth by going up-tempo and running a lot. And it, it'll feel like you're running a lot of pass plays anyway because you're just getting so many first downs and running so many more plays. But uh, LaFleur just got too cute with it. He did, and look at him now. All right, that's going to wrap things up for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at No House Advantage from Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.